Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Galatians 5 and verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And ask if you'd join with me in prayer. Jesus, there's a great presence, your presence in this place tonight, Jesus. And I'm just asking, Lord, that your will would be done in every facet, every detail, Jesus. Nothing lacking, nothing missing, but a complete work, God, that, that you'd have it, however you'd have it to be, Jesus. And in, in your name, I'm just asking that you would anoint our ears to hear, or anoint our hearts to receive, anoint our, our, our minds to perceive your word tonight, Jesus. I'm asking that you'd use these, this heart and these lips, Lord, and, and that you'd only have me to speak what you'd have me to speak. But Lord, let there be healing virtue in the house tonight. Let there be a feeding and let there be a strengthening, Jesus, through your word. And let there, there be a... Um, a healing process, and Lord, let there be a binding up, and let there be a, a gathering, and, and even a bringing back, and in your mighty name we pray, Jesus, amen, amen. You may be seated, you may be seated. For freedom, Christ has set us free. If anyone in here takes notes, I'm just going to give it to you right now. Write this down if you're a note taker. Um, write this. My brother is good. You could also write, if you're a note taker, my sister is good. Perhaps from the viewpoint of a father, you could, you could write in your notes, my child is good. My child is good. I spoke, I believe it was the first time that I had the opportunity to speak here as a saint, uh, a member of this congregation. It was the first or second time I spoke of that meta-narrative, uh, the, the, the story within the story. And, 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 and I mentioned that line upon line, and line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And, 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 and I say it almost well, often, probably too often when I'm up here, Oh, God, if we could just live in the moment of the word, right here, right now, it would be so glorious. It would be so magnificent. What, what I feel and what God, is, what God is about to deliver, what God is about to show us, it is so powerful. And if we could just live in the moment, but that's not our luxury. Just like Peter, James, and John, when they went up on the Mount Transfiguration and and. Peter never knows what his response is going to be, so he always just blurts it out. Maybe we should just build tabernacles right here and dwell right here. But they did not have that luxury, and Jesus said, no, you cannot stay here. We have to come back down off of this mountain. There's a work to do, and it's not up here, it's down there. And so I'm going to show you some things, but you cannot stay right here right now. But oh, if we could, oh, if we could. Things are better inside of these walls. Everything is perfect in the presence of God. It seems like the things of this world just 
become dim and they disappear when we're in the presence of God, when we're getting into an atmosphere of, of prayer and faith and worship and God's moving and we feel his glory, we feel his presence and everything is good but for a moment. Oh, if we could just stay there. But we don't have that luxury. And so it's line upon line. And if I could just one more time, just add one page, even one note. Oh, and if you could touch your life, and if you could remember it, it would be this, that my child is good, that my brother is good, and that my sister is good. So I'm going to move fast and furious. I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm a little bit excited about this, and I've only got so much time. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But it doesn't always feel that way. There's a war and there's a battle between two natures. There's the new man and the old man. And that war goes on. And Galatians chapter 5 talks about it. And but, but it's telling us we've been set free. Christ has done the dirty work already. Amen. It's interesting because right before that, if you took out the chapter 5, which wasn't in the original text anyways, uh, and if we started at verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. There's a reason why this is being written. It's talking of the two natures, the old man and the new man. Yes, there's an example in the Old Testament of Ishmael and of Isaac, but for you and for me, it's because there's this continual battle. Amen. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Sometimes we just got to shake ourselves and remind ourselves. It doesn't matter. Just like we say, I'm not going to live by what I see. I'm not going to live by what I feel. My God is greater than what I see and greater than what I feel. And he's already gone before and he's already made a way. But we've got to live and walk in faith, but for another moment. Oh, Jesus. And so we are free. We are free. Jumping ahead to chapter 5 and verse 16, it, it speaks of it a little bit more. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But let's be honest. What does it really mean to walk in the spirit? I mean, do you, to really ponder it, when we walk out these doors, how do we walk in the spirit or how do we walk in the flesh? Do we ever really stop to ponder it, to think of it? And maybe it's just as, 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 as close or as near as, as realizing the struggles of life. The struggles of interacting even with people, even with family, even with children, even with neighbors, co-workers, things of that nature. Times when oh, it may even be interacting with other drivers on the road. <laughs> that one we should all be able to... Uh, relate to walk in the, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are, are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing, to keep me from doing the things that we want to do. But if we are led by the Spirit, oh, hmm. So I'm going to talk about it, and I'm just going to give one little thing, and you already know what it is. It's just one statement. My brother is good. It may be as simple as the very beginning, the very first, perhaps, law of healing may just be a simple phrase that we put in front of our eyes, that we bind to our hand, and it may just be, my brother is good. Amen. If you turn with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, I'll try to follow my notes here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Paul writes, all things are lawful for me, but all things, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I love this because it's speaking of living in freedom. And and I don't have the time, I I don't want to take the time to to explain everything, but we know that there's power in submission. Jesus changed everything through submission, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about life in the Spirit. And we're talking about living in the Spirit. We're talking about empowering the new man and denying the old man. We're talking about putting muscle on the spiritual man and saying no to the fleshly man. Hmm. The flesh and the spirit, they're warring, they're contrary the one to the other. So we know there's a battle. Now, The next thing I want to establish is in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, we refer to this as the hall of faith. And by faith, our elders in in the word and our elders in the spirit, by faith they subdued kingdoms. By faith, They were saved by faith. Everything was by faith. And there's this one verse that we're going to look at. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we don't believe, none of it matters, right? We do believe, and we do have faith. This is a place of faith. And so, being that we believe and being that we have faith, the Word of God is telling us that He will reward us if we seek Him. He will reward us if we reach for Him, if we're hungering for Him. He will reward us when we look into His Word. And when we see his principles, when we see his concepts, when we see his laws and his rules, he will reward us when we're obedient, when we live in obedience to them. Amen. This is where I say it is immutable. It doesn't change. It's fact more than any other thing could be fact in this world. It's the law of God. Amen. 
It's his law. It's his word. And he's bound by his word to you and to me. It's his part of covenant. It doesn't change. He's just beckoning us. Come on, reach a little bit more. Draw a little bit closer to me. I can heal you a little bit more. I've got a little bit more for you. There's a little bit more understanding, a little bit more depth in this word. And I'm going to continue to transform your mind. And I'm going to continue to change you for the better. And I'm going to make you into what I want you to be, how I see you. Because God looks at you and God looks at me and he says, my child, is good. Huh. Hmm. Is this all right? I haven't even got started yet. I'm excited about this because God is so good. Oh, and the riches of his word and his promises are beautiful and they're deep. Oh, and they draw you in kind of suck you in once you get started, once you get a little bit of a taste of it. Ooh, there ain't no going back. <laughs> but you don't want to. Amen, amen. So he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And before we get to the story, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And these are things I, I quote fairly often. But we do well to remind ourselves what God tells us in his word. So we've established so far that there is this continual battle between the natural man and the spiritual man. And, and, and let me just pause here to say for, let, let's be real. Uh, I've not arrived. I've got a long ways to go. And, and if we're all honest. We've got some, we got some things in, in here that God's still working on. And, and if you don't know that, well, let me tell you, you've got some things in here that God's still working on. And that's okay. It's okay. We could write that one down. We need to get very familiar with that sentence right there. It's okay. It's okay. I will always say where you're at right now is okay because you can't go back and change what you did yesterday. You're not going to stay there, though, because God's got something better for you. It's not okay that we stay where we're at, and, but it's okay because God looks down and God is saying, my child is good. My child is good. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll start with verse 1 and 2. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, now the brothers would be the, the New Testament church, that's us, right? Living in the age of grace or the dispensation of the church age, that's us. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I don't want you to be unaware, church, that our fathers... Now, now, this would be those in the Old Testament, in the, under the Old Covenant, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 6, now all these things took place as examples for us. All right, and then jumping ahead to verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example. Hmm. 
but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have, has come. That's us, church. That's us right here, right now. What happened in the Old Testament is an example for you and for me. Amen. It's anointed. It's, it's the word of God. There's, there's depth to it. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. All right. So what we've established is there's this battle, this war between this flesh and the spirit. Amen. And if, if you don't have that battle, you don't have to say amen. That's all right. I have that battle, so I'll say amen loud enough for all of us. There's that battle, and, and, and there's some things that God's still working on. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure he's going to be working on it until my time expires or he comes again. I don't know which one will come first, but I'm pretty certain. <laughs> Thank God I can look back and I see I've come a long way. Um, but I know I've got a long way to go. And that's all right. That's all right, because my father's saying, my son is good. Mm -mm. So with that, let's jump to the Old Testament, and we're going to establish one or two more things before we hit the story. So if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 1. I'll start reading with verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, in verse 3, hear there, O church, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. All right. So if these things happen for our example, it is God's intention for us to increase mightily. Amen. It's in the scripture. We are to increase. God intends on increasing us. We play a role in this, though. And we already read it. We need to diligently know his word. Diligently know what pleases God. Diligently know his statutes and his rules. And it's not about I have to do this or else. It's all about a sovereign God in covenant relationship saying, I'm beckoning you and drawing you. I've got something better for you than where you came from. Where you're going is better than where you've come from. Join me in this. I will heal you. I will deliver you. I will strengthen you. I will be your increase. Huh. Hmm. It was not about earning. God's drawing. And God's a holy God. And scripture tells us that God and sin do not mix. It's just the way it is. But I promise you, and those of you who know, the more you get into this word, the more you get into God, the more you get into his presence, the less those other things matter. It doesn't matter dropping off the things that once used to hold my attention and used to take my time and my resources. And I know you can relate to this. It becomes an easy thing 
to let some things go huh, as you're reaching for God. That's when you find that residue of God in your life. Amen. So continuing to read. Verse 4, we're all familiar with. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now, this is all good. I could preach just on this and I'm moving fast. I get that. But here we go. Verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is where it really starts to hit for me because we're about to look at a law. I'm just going to call it I haven't heard this anywhere, and you don't have to write it down this way, but for me, I'll remember it always this way. It's going to be the first law of healing. Because I'm going, to, I'm going to see it in the Word of God. We're going to explore it in the Word of God. And I think it's where we just need to start when we don't know what else to do. Hmm. It starts by taking the principles of God and binding them to your hand. Why would that be? The only thing I can think of is most of the time that you're putting your hands to something, you're watching your hands. When you're working on something, you're typically watching what your hands are doing. And so no matter what your hands are touching, you're seeing the laws of God. No matter what you're doing, you're seeing the principles of God. And this is what God was telling Israel, and this is what God wants us to remember. So even whether we're walking in the flesh, touching in the flesh, or moving in the spirit, and moving in those precise moments and times when his laws are before us, ah, when it's re reminding us, and it's keeping us focused on God's words, and God's word never fails. God's word never fails. And when it's written on my hand, ah, I'm always seeing it. On the eyelets, you just think of it. If I had, if I had the time and the resources, I would, have, I would have done this for an illustration. I would have bought, brought a bunch of 3D glasses and, and had everyone put 3D glasses on and, and then just describe some things as far as the principles of God and the precepts of God. And, and you know, you may look goofy with these 3D glasses on and then you add one more principle and it is one color and you add another precept of God and it's another color but when you start adding these things what does it give you it gives you depth that you wouldn't have had before you start to see things in a different dimension that you wouldn't have understood before you couldn't recognize it before the crazy thing is you would look goofy to someone else but they're not seeing what you're seeing and so when we're putting the laws of God before our eyes and we're not getting distracted or losing it, but it's what, what, it's what defines us. It defines our attitudes. It defines how we uh, mingle and how we interact amongst each other and amongst friends and family and coworkers. His principles, it's always right there and it's always right here. And you think about the doorpost. 
I can't ever think about a doorpost relating to the spiritual realm without thinking about the blood of Christ that was put on the doorpost and on, on the lintel and on the other doorpost. And, and, and they walked through and they were covered by the blood when they were delivered out of Egypt. And it's the same thing for you and me, but that blood is still flows from Calvary. And so when we think about the word of God and what it all means as it's on the doorpost, we, mm, when we leave in the morning, ha, we've got it in between our eyes. We've got it on our hands and we're walking out remembering that we've been covered by his blood every single day. We go out in the world and sometimes the days are rough and they're hard and it wears on us. I know. But what happens when you come back at the end of the day? You're walking through that same door and you're reminded of the same things. That God is faithful. God is good. God is a healer. He's a provider. He's already spoken it. It's already gone before you. And all you got to do is walk a little bit more in faith. Ha. Ha. And then you think of the gates. You think of the gates. Ah, I like the gates, and Sister Miranda can teach on this a whole lot better than I can. But the first gates we're going to think of is you've got your ear gates, you've got your eye gates, and you've got your mouth gate. Ah, you write it on the gates. For them at that time, the gate was... I got this written down. Let's use the notes. We took the time to write them, right? Ah. The gates, the gates, the gates. Help me, Jesus. Gate in summary. It marks a boundary between inside and the outside. It serves to permit or prevent movement from without or perhaps from within. So it was much deeper than that, but I can't write all my study materials down. You get the gist. That was a pretty good. There are some things that we need to keep out. And there are some things that we need to hold dear. The rudiments of the doctrine we hold near and dear. And there are things that we never allow in. For them, the gate was also a place where Deals were made and commerce happened. When you think of Mordecai sat at the gate of the city. And so if I parallel the gate along with the door, it just tells me when you leave in the morning and you've got it between your eyes and you've got it on your hands and you walk through your doorpost and you remind it again. And even while it's at the gate, it's written on the gate. Even while you're at work, you're thinking of these things. Huh. That place of commerce. And then when you come home, it's the same thing as you walk back through that door. But, but here's where I want to go with this. And I, I could have, this isn't exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. Here's where I want to go with this. Huh. An example in scripture, and I just pulled one, as far as gates go, would have been Jacob after his dream at Bethel. And he describes the place as the house of God and the gate to heaven. The house of God and the gate to heaven. And so here's where I want to back it down just a little bit. And Jesus, take this moment and really speak to us, God. This is your word. And it's filtering through a man. I know it, Jesus. 
But here right now, God, if we would have that ear to hear and that heart to receive, speak to us, Jesus. Touch what you'd want to touch right here, right now. Let your will be done, Jesus. Let your will be done, Jesus. As that place, the house of God and the gate of heaven. We're talking about a spiritual and a natural realm that are intermingling. They're perhaps even warring together. We're going to head towards 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I'll remind us what we've looked at so far. There's the war. We talked of faith and belief. That this is an example for you and for me. The gate. The eye gate. The ear gate. The mouth gate. We're going we're gonna to focus. We could focus on any one of these. But we'll talk a little bit about the tongue. We're going to go to the power of the tongue a little bit. As we draw near to an end of this sermon. We need to be careful to do what pleases God. We need, to be, we need to teach these things diligently and we need to bind them to us. And, and let me just mention the whole binding and loosing. Uh, I, I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way to do it, but a lot of times we need to, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of examples in Scripture, we bind ourselves to God in covenant. And so sometimes I think we do get it reversed when we bind the devil. Well, it may be more accurate to say we loose the devil, we loose the spirit of fear, we loose the spirit of intimidation, and we bind ourselves to God, a spirit of freedom in Christ Jesus. And we bind ourselves to, and I'm just mentioning it because I'm seeing we're supposed to bind this to our, we're supposed to bind it to our hand, and where we put our hands, and as God teaches our hands to war. Oh, Jesus, it may just be that we need to loose some things from and we need to bind ourselves to the things of God for whatever it's worth. I do tend to do it that way more so than the other way. First Samuel chapter four. We'll start with verse 1. And, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Apek. Wow. Oh, help me, Jesus. And the Philistines drew up in a line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. 4,000 men of Israel died in that battle. The interesting thing is, uh, the elders in Israel come together and they decide, well, what happened? They, they talk amongst themselves, what happened? And they come up with this idea, well, let's go ahead and let's take the Ark of the Covenant and let's bring it to us. Oh, and I don't have time to talk about it, but when I read that scripture... We don't ever, you know what? We don't need to bring God to us. We need to take ourselves to God. I, I went to Bible college for a little while, and, and I was told specifically by Brother Mooney, if there's only one thing you remember, remember this. <laughs> and I never forgot it. God is God, and I am not. 
And so, you know, where things are going to work and where things are going to hit is when we're going to God and not necessarily trying to bring God to us. Um, he's right there. He stands at the door and knocks, and I get all that, but uh, he's God. He doesn't need to be found, and he doesn't need to be saved. Oh, but we need to be found, and we need to be saved. Amen. We need to be healed and delivered in Jesus' name. All right, so they decide, let's take this Ark of the Covenant, and let's take that into battle, and, and some incredible things happen along the way. They snatch up Hophni and Phinehas and, and, um, and the high priest's two sons, and, and they take the Ark into battle, and there's a great triumphant uh, shout that goes, rises up amongst the Israelites, if you continue to read, and, and the Philistines start to shake in their boots. They're fearful, and they're intimidated, and, and they know, they, they've heard, they, I don't know if they had spies or whatever, but they know that, and they don't quite get it, but they say the gods have come into Israel. They're with Israel, and they know that it's the gods. They, they're calling it gods. We know it was one, but the Philistines don't know any better. They're saying it's the same gods that brought them out of Egypt. It's the same gods that plagued Egypt. It's the same gods that brought them over the, the red, through the Red Sea on dry land. It's the same gods that pour, poured water out of a rock. And it's the same gods that brought them over the Jordan River once again on dry ground. It's the same God who went ahead and crushed Jericho. And, and the same God that has walked before Israel. And they don't know what to do. And then there's an interesting scripture in there. I've talked about it before. I think it was an angel of the Lord. But it tells them, equip yourselves. Act like men. And you're not going to serve Israel. And what do, you, what do you know? The Philistines slay 30,000 of the Israelites. Regardless of the Ark. They take the Ark of the Covenant. They kill Hophni and Phinehas. And then when word is brought back to Eli, the high priest, the father of Hophni and Phinehas... When Eli hears it, he's an old man. His eyes are dim. He fall, he's a heavy man. He falls over backwards when he hears that the ark of the, of the Lord was taken and he dies. We're going to pick up reading in, in verse 19 of chapter 4. And here we go. Now, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, the, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she, but she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And so here for just a, a, a moment, let's just think about this poor child who is now named the glory of God has departed. This child has done nothing wrong. It's not this child's fault that the ark of the covenant has been removed from Israel. It's not the child's fault that God, God's glory and God's presence is, is gone. It's not the child's fault that his father was, was, was a horrible priest and, and, and defiled the priesthood. It's not, his, his, it's not the child's fault that, that his, his grandpa oh, really wasn't very 
a very good high priest and, and, uh, and allowed his two sons to desecrate the, the, the house of God and the, and the temple and, and, and the priesthood. Uh, it wasn't the child's fault, but that child now, for the rest of his life, is bearing a name. Oh, the glory of God has departed. So every time anyone ever saw that child... They saw all the, fail, the failure of his family. And they saw that when they looked at that child, all they saw was the, the reason why the glory of God was gone. I'm just going to be real honest with you. Because I don't want to play church. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Offense there is scandalon, is, is, is the Greek word. It means a scandal, a trap stick, a bent sapling that would be a snare. The cause of displeasure or sin Occasion to fall of stumbling in offense. In offense, none of us has arrived. And we all fail at times when we're speaking to one another, when we're ministering with one another. It happens. People get hurt. We get hurt. We get bent out of shape. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It concerns me when we can't let it go. And this example I'm seeing in Scripture, Ichabod had no way of letting it go. This marked him and it defined him. Remember what, when we were talking about the gate... Remember I mentioned about Jacob. Jacob looked at it as the house of God and the gateway to heaven. When we look at the principles of God, that's exactly what it is. There's divine healing in this word when we apply it to our lives. I've only got one word for you. It's that my brother is good. I've got one word for you. It's my sister is good. Uh, turn with me to another scripture, and I'm getting close to the end, but First Samuel chapter 14. First Samuel chapter 14 and, and verse three. And if you've got a Bible, please turn there. I, I want you to see this. You've got to see this. And I'll just start with verse 1. And one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his, his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was standing in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. 
Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. <laughs> Ichabod had a brother. It couldn't have been a younger brother. Ma died in childbirth. Dad died on the, bo- the battlefield. So Ichabod had an older brother whose name was Ahitub. This is the way that God works. If you look up the name Ahitab, what it means, it means my brother is good. Go ahead and get a, a dictionary. Look it up. This is the way God works. God knew that there would be a child that would be called Ichabod, and it was because of nothing he did. But God had already gone before. God's not... God's not stuck in time and space like we are. God has already set things in motion that if we will just write ourselves into the narrative, if we will write ourselves into the pages, oh, dare I say, into God's will and God's purpose, God has already established some things. And God knew that there would be a child that would have a name that he didn't deserve, but that everyone would always recognize him by because, by, because of family passed, but God set something in motion, and it was that there was an older brother that's name meant, my brother is good. Ah. And so, I'll just write it into the scripture. I'm okay with it. I know it's there for a reason. It's because there was a need, and God met the need. And so there was an older brother that spoke into Ichabod's life, and that encouraged him and strengthened him. You know what? The older brother could have looked at Ichabod and said, you know, all that does is hurts me. It's family pain. It's family past. God doesn't want it that way. God's saying, my brother is good. If we would just take these words and speak them in faith. Oh. If we would start looking at one another and start seeing the fact that God sees them as good and so am I. If I start to speak only that my brother is good. You, you know what happened as a result of that? You would have thought, and I'm sure you did, because some of us are familiar with Ichabod, we would have just assumed that they just disappeared into the pages of the Bible and we never heard from them again. But you wouldn't know then that Ahitub's grandson was David's high priest. Because God restored, ha, through the faithful words my brother's good. It had a healing effect on the family. You wouldn't have known that later down the lineage there would be a prophet in the Bible named Ezra that came from Ahitub. And I'm here to tell you, it may be that we would, there would have never been an Ezra and that the high priest of David may never have been there if there hadn't been a brother speaking into his brother's ear saying, I don't care what they're saying, you're good. I don't care what you feel like, you're good. I don't care what your past is saying, you're good. I don't care if you've messed up a thousand times before, we're going to move forward and you're good. I believe in you. Why? Because God believes in you. Oh, where does the time go? Yeah. Now, I did ask you guys last week how loud it is out there. It sounds loud up here, but you said it was good. So I hope I'm not being too loud. <laughs> You're going to take care of that up there if that's the case. 
I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of time. So I'm not going to make us go through all the scriptures. But the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. James talks about it. And, and, I, and if I had more time, I'd go through and, and, and correlate what James, what James says about the power of the tongue in James 1, 26, 3, 5, and 3, 6. And correlate it to the old man, the old way of thinking. The, the brother that would look at his brother who's hurting and his brother who's made some mistakes and, and, and would lash out at him. And James speaks of how that the tongue is so powerful that it, it can, uh, a small, it's like a rudder uh, on a massive ship. That small little part turns the ship. I would say that because of words and what comes out of someone's tongue, world wars have started. The power of the tongue. But I don't have time to go into that. I'm out of time. So what I will do is let's look at the good side in closing. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. (laughs) A gentle tongue is a tree of life. The gentle tongue says my brother's good. The gentle tongue says my sister's good. Proverbs 18 and 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Well, God was saying, by establishing a hittub, a hittub, you speak these words, and my brother's good all your life, and it's going to, there's going to be life in your tongue. There's going to be life in your tongue. Thirty-one, verse thirty-six. speaks of the woman who fears the Lord. And I'll just correlate it to knowing the laws of God and knowing the principles of God, the rules of God, and, 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 and understanding them and operating under that. It, it, was, it was, yeah, it was, hmm. verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. <sighs> kindness. That word teaching there may say the law and some of the other renderings. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the law of kindness is on her tongue. And so, if you'll stand with me, in closing, if anyone ever had the right to be swallowed up by a history making one's name toxic, it was Eli's grandchildren, Ichabod and Ahitub. Huh. And my encouragement for you tonight is whether you see it or not. I had other scriptures. I mentioned it on Sunday while we were yet sinners. Christ commended his love towards us. It was before we were good because we were not good without God. It's the way God operates. This is a heavenly 
principle, a heavenly rule, a heavenly law. And I'm telling you, no matter where you're at, no matter how we're touching, no matter uh, where we're putting our hands, whether in the church, out of the church, in the kingdom, out of the church, if we will remember this and just speak it, I'm telling you, there's healing virtue in this. You have right here in this example, uh, an example that healed a family. Healed a family. So whether it's a family that ministers within the church, whether it's a, the family of God, there is virtue to heal in these words. My brother is good. My sister is good. My child is good. So God does not see it that way. Referring to Eli's grandchildren, Ichabod and Ahiatub. And so I will not see it that way. God sees it as my child is good. I see it as my brother is good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for taking, on this, taking us on this journey. I'm praying in your name, Jesus. You know, Jesus. You know. It's more than just words. Yeah, this word purifies and sanctifies it's your holy word. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.